0: Welcome to the Woman Who Rubs the Mountain podcast, a gathering place for conversations about ecological embodiment and intimacy with place. I'm your host, Kendra Ward, acupuncturist and land alchemist, currently living on traditional Abenaki land in what is now called Vermont. In these explorations, we wonder, what happens when we rub on the body of the earth? How does the earth brush back against us? Waking up from a great forgetting, these inquiries bring us to the fluid interfaces of human body and land body. Along the way, it's my hope that we diversify our sense of relational kinship, discover creative disruptive ways of living beyond our human-centric tendencies, and make wide space for new, old, earth-honoring culture to re-emerge. Because in these joy-soaked but bleak times, falling in love with the land and the beings where we live is truly the basis of healing and reconciliation, a resistance against ecocide, and the special work of our human hearts used well. My guest today is Shiv Watkins, an academically trained microbiologist, independent scholar, ritualist, and the founder of Microanimism, a platform for examining how human beings and human culture engage with the microbial world. Since 2003, Shiv has held scientific positions in industry, commercial, and academic settings. She's performed scientific research in wastewater treatment, conservation microbiology, freshwater pollution, environmental viral diversity, and the use of microbiomes and microbial communities in sustaining responsible stewardship of the extended natural world. In 2016, Schiff became a student of the ritual and esoteric arts, and it was really this aspect of her scholarly work that became the catalyst for her beginnings in examining the world of the smalls within the context of animism. Originally from the UK with English, Welsh, and Scottish ancestry, Shiv currently resides near Santa Fe, New Mexico, where she has a passion for taking care of rescued racehorses. I really, really appreciated my conversation with Shiv because I feel like even for those of us who are attempting to live within an animus viewpoint seeing the world as awake and quivering with life and wisdom and ancestry, we might still at times be working from a limited viewpoint. And perhaps this is a continued function of our human-centric tendencies. But truly, it feels like, you know, we have an easier time thinking about trees and boulders and rivers as living. But what about the small ones of the microbial universe, So this is really where Shiv's work provides this sort of therapeutic blurring for us humans. Because once you start learning about the microbial universe, you realize that there's not a human me or microbial me. It's just all part of this ongoing continuum. The same way that tuning into geologic time broadens us in the same way that tuning into deep time unanchors us, I feel like living with an enhanced awareness of the microbial universe has a similar sort of mystifying yet enriching effect. And I hope you feel this as you listen. Enjoy this episode. Well, welcome everyone. Just wanting to take a moment before we begin to give thanks and orient ourselves in place. I'd love to give thanks to our great earth mother home, and I'd love to acknowledge the larger geographies around me, the big sacred intelligences, the waters, rocks, trees, and clouds, and all the other old ones who I don't just live with, but live in. So just taking a moment to feel into and connect with the land, wherever you might be, allowing the ancient spirit and vast resonances to rise up into the room with us, into our hearts, into this conversation, into our speaking and our listening. So thank you Shiv for agreeing to wander around in conversation with me as we explore the macro and the micro and the separate and the legion and our entanglement, um, this complexity of experience as human beings is vast and strange. So thank you for, yeah, for
1: agreeing. You bet, thanks for the invitation. Mm. It was nice to <laughs> flap my lips about this subject. <laughs> excellent
0: well <laughs> let's just begin with um with the micros the who you call the the smalls um and how we might all be micro without us even realizing it
1: yeah so the smalls is kind of a i don't know maybe a bit of a flippant nickname that actually i think uh Mostly Daniel Four came up with when I first started talking to him about this subject, but um, essentially it refers to microorganisms. By training, I'm a microbiologist, <clears throat> so I have a PhD in microbiology. And the way you split up that word, I think some people think it's micro and biology, but it's actually microbe biology. So microbiologists are a group of scientists who study and poke and prod viruses, bacteria, um, some micro eukaryotes, archaea, some fungi, basically any of the, the more microscopic members of the universe. And um, these, uh, these ones are just inextricably linked to all life on the planet. Um, which also includes human life. And what I spend a lot of time thinking about is the biological side of that. That's predominantly what most of my professional life has been about. But also in terms of um, the emotional, psychological, spiritual, which sounds a bit new agey, but there's not a better word for that, um, ancestral connections that human beings have with microorganisms in the microbial universe. Um, and unhelpfully, that encompasses a very, very broad range of topics and experiences. So um, what I do is really just chip away at the surface of that range of topics.
0: Hmm. Well, I feel like you know, in in spending so much of your life's energy, um, engrossed in a in a realm that most of us don't even you know begin to perceive. Um, I would imagine that you sort of have a certain x-ray vision of sorts? Like, how is this How is this different way of seeing the world? Like, even on a daily basis, I'm wondering if you have a story for us or, you know, just something that comes to mind in which that just having that difference in viewpoint.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm definitely a, a mixed bag at dinner parties. People <laughs> either love me or hate me, I think. Um, a lot of my big... Sort of like impactful moments. Thinking as a microanimist have come after the fact, reflecting on things that have happened to me over the course of being a professional scientist and also just being an alive human being. Um, I I think <clears throat> probably uh, the most obvious one, which is one that I speak about a lot, is how I became a microbiologist which was really when I was a child around six six years old and I developed a really intense fear of vomiting and because I was very precocious and strange I threw myself into learning about vomiting and over the course of a few years that transformed into learning about pathogenic microorganisms and toxins and viruses and all that kind of thing and at the time I was very frightened of those ones and I felt like the whole deal was very unfair I felt like pathogens were out to get me specifically they were trying to specifically hurt me in some way And then later on, you know, in the last 10 years or so, when I started really thinking about it from this different perspective, I realized that that was the beginning of a kind of atypical special relationship with the smalls, um, whether that's sort of through perception or cerebrally and the 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 real message that I got from that was is that you know that's not it right. <laughs> you know it's not like a a personal vendetta where pathogens are trying specifically to hurt human beings or you know, every other single alive thing that that pathogens affect. So that's probably the most impactful one from my personal relationship with the smalls and and over the course of this work, which I've been offering to students over the last, 10 years or so. Everybody has a story like that. You know, um, some examples include a personal relationship that somebody had with tuberculosis, not because they've had tuberculosis, but because it's been something that has impacted their family, Um, or examples of a beloved pet passing due to an infection and the the experience of that and how that changed somebody's perception of the microbial world or experiences of chronic disease, like HIV or, or Lyme or, or other things. And I think what's really um, what has really sort of driven me over the last 10 years offering this stuff because it's quite a niche subject and it takes up quite a lot of energy to think about it a lot is that my experience of microanimism is completely different and unique to your experience of microanimism and every single alive thing on this planet has a different experience of, of interacting with the smalls at the core of that there's the obvious stuff that everybody gets to experience like we all have a microbiome we all have an ancestral connection blah blah blah, blah, blah. but every alive person on this planet also has a very crafted and faceted personal meaningful relationship with the microbial universe one way or another and it's on so many different levels of human experience
0: Hmm. well and and so i'm wondering and this might be totally off course but i'm wondering uh, i know you also have a love affair with horses and horses as a being like especially compared to us humans um you know they're they're big they're a little bigger um and so you know it's just interesting like to if we think about like the the camera lens of like going in and then coming out um I'm just I'm curious about this you know your love affair with horses I always like talking about ponies okay
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah there are there are um I mean you can find these links anywhere right but Mm -hmm. Horses also have a really, really long evolutionary relationship with humans. Obviously, not as long as as microbes, but there's something really intangible about that relationship, about um, a 1,200-pound prey animal who has evolved so closely with a prey species. And not only have they evolved to be friends, in some cases, with the prey species, but also we've used them to work and go to war, and nowadays to just kind of hang out with them or or compete with them, and I think a lot of scientists about, are quite stumped <laughs> about <laughs> why that has ended up the way that it has ended up. Um, so I I see that um, parallel between the very very small world and the slightly larger world of horses, but also horses are mostly entirely dependent on humans we are their stewards in in a lot of cases um which is the complete opposite of the microbial world right because we're completely dependent on the microbial world so i do think about this quite a lot um i work mostly at the moment with rescued racehorses who come to us off the track and um, are often physically injured, but also have a lot of mental health issues, as you might imagine. And the resilience that they demonstrate in terms of physical recovery and uh, still maintaining such a loving attitude towards human beings uh is something that humans can learn an awful lot from that is not necessarily demonstrated by the microbial universe which is a little bit more uh neutral in Mm. its uh regard of of human beings um And also horses are incredibly fragile. (laughs) They're really easy to kill, (laughs) Mm. Uh, which is kind of at odds with their large size. But again, they're prey animals. So in some ways they're so um, finely designed to do exactly what it is that they do and and in a process of domestication, I guess, and also just the trade-off of prey existing in the world, you know, it's real easy to for a horse to break a leg. It's real easy for a horse to um have something go on with its gastrointestinal system that just, you know, renders them a goner, pretty much. So um both sides of both ends of that spectrum are very, very small and a little bit larger they're they're juicy subjects to think about on their own but i do see parallels and probably mostly the the link between those two worlds when i think about them separately is is me
0: hmm well i'd love to kind of you know move into this this blurred lines piece a little bit more um you know, I feel like microanimism has this quality of like helping us squirm around um, in our ideas around like us and them, big and little, sharp lines, boundaries, um, and our, our strange ideas around separate existences. Um, you know, like, are the smalls all around us? Are we all around the smalls? Like who, you know, blah, blah, blah. So um this sense of like, they're all around us and our mouths and our guts and our armpits um, yet somehow they still remain kind of far away in our minds. Like that we're, that they're always just so separate from us. So i was just wondering if you could speak to this a little bit more like the, the potential therapeutic nature for us humans in blurring those lines further. Yeah. Um, this
1: is a, uh... This, uh, the sense of human self gets fuzzy really quickly um, when you start really sitting with this idea of the smalls and how they relate to human beings. And there usually comes a point <clears throat> in a class or a, a reading group or whatever, where someone really, really gets that and you can see it on their face. <laughs> where they start getting really uncomfortable about that idea, um, which I always enjoy because I'm obnoxious. But um, it's really impossible for me now to, to separate microbial business from human business. And scientists, when they study the human body, it's much easier for us to put things in boxes. So a geneticist will put things in the genetics box and a physiologist will put things in a physiology box and a microbiologist will put things in a microbiology box. But that's not really how it works. Um, Microbes in the human body specifically mediate so many aspects of, of what it means for us to be biologically alive, our immune system, um, a, the gut-brain axis, the gut on its so, own, like name a process in the human body and the smalls are involved in it. And so the question becomes, you know are you a human having a microbial experience or are you a collection of microbes having a human experience and there's no answer to that question there really honestly isn't um human beings don't have much of an idea of the level of microbial diversity that exists in their bodies i'm 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 talking about scientists it's really difficult for us to nail down what's actually in us around us Um, on us because microbes are associated with our inside surfaces our outside surfaces everybody has their own microbial cloud that we kind of waft around and imprint on on the people and the places around us um so i think there's a lot to dig into there right and and that's just the physical that's that's not talking about the temporal or the ancestral which is even wiggier when right. you start thinking about that um but i think the most fundamentally helpful place to start with with thinking about that crossover is reinforcing this really important general idea which um, animism, like being an animist, whatever that means, kind of supports, which is that there's, there's no such thing as nature. There's no separation of human beings and nature. And if you look at how the word natural is used as a marketing term, it's the best example of how we tend to frame the extended environment around us as being separate from human beings, right? If something is natural, that means it's better. But essentially what it means is that it's not already part of us, okay? Because if it was already part of us, how could it be better? Blah blah blah. blah. Um, this idea that we are separated from the extended natural environment through buildings, through cars, through concrete, through whatever is 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 not accurate and it's an unhelpful idea and what microbes really represent I think is is kind of a smudge you know when you like working with charcoal I'm left-handed so this happens all the time and you just kind of it and you smudge one part of the drawing to the other part of the drawing I see microbes as a smudge in that way because Once you start thinking on an internal level, oh, there's not really a human me and a microbial me, they're kind of the same thing, then you can expand that to, oh, there's not really a human microbial sieve in this chair, it's a human microbial sieve chair, (laughs) or uh, a human microbial sieve building and a human microbial desert, and eventually that expands out to the universe. They're a a conduit in a very, very true sense. And that's just innate. That doesn't even necessarily mean that I am interacting with outsider microbes. Like, for example, infectious disease. It's like, oh, what she's talking about is when I'm invaded by microbes. I mean, that is a conduit. That's one way of looking at it. But no, it's it's just how it is. It's the nature of existence that we have a continuum between us and and our our ideas of ourselves, and the entire whole rest of the universe that is mediated by lots of things, lots of beings, but one hundred percent by the smalls. Does that
0: make sense? It does. Actually, it clicked for me there. Um, I like your analogy with the with the smudge. Um, And uh, yeah, I get it. Uh, Yeah. Well, um, that being said, like I had a moment of glimpsing and like feeling into what you're talking about, Um, but it's so interesting and easy, um, especially from like an emotional level, um, how we continue to want to separate somehow in our minds. Um, Like it, it feels to me as though, um, there's still this quality of like fear or disgust that can come up. I mean, kind of circling back to your story of when you were younger, and I'm not sure how old you were, but it, um, I could feel like the developmentally appropriate response that you had, um, because it's very much about me, like, especially as a child, um, like they're after me. Um, so, you know, not to put, words in, in anyone's mouths around what their experience is, but I, I do think that, especially when it comes to viruses, you know, fear is that is that emotion that arises very frequently. Um I'm just, you know, wondering what else in terms of our, uh, what you've experienced in terms of the emotional reaction that people have in contemplating the smalls and um, yeah, the ways in which, Like it makes sense when someone has been sick, like of course there's an emotional response that can feel like a us versus them type of thing.
1: There's room for aggression and violence in this world in the same way that there's room for sweetness and and all that other stuff. Um, And also I think in terms of infectious disease and viruses and bacteria for the majority of human beings that's the only time that you would ever necessarily think about the smalls and so your experience and understanding of the smalls is associated with being uncomfortable and feeling shitty and also sometimes things dying and so it it makes sense that a lot of people would be grossed out by the idea of bacteria and viruses and also that i mean that's reinforced in our society in terms of 60 like, of 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 products that you can go to the store and buy are somehow antiseptic or antimicrobial like pillowcases and hand wash and all that kind of stuff it's it's very much a protect yourself kind of a deal um and I think on the other end of that spectrum, something that I have come across, especially since the start of the pandemic, and I, I, I get sick of always talking about the pandemic, but it, you know, it makes sense. That Easy it's example. A topic. Yeah. yeah. Like oh yeah, I can't really think of anything else that affected everybody else so much. But the other end of the spectrum of, of Disgust and horror and fear and all that kind of thing is um, an assumption of cooperation, I I guess. So I I can frame that with an example. So at the beginning of the pandemic, one of the questions that I got a lot from folks was, how can I drop in and communicate with the SARS-CoV-2 virus? Right. Um, and how can I be in conversation with that one which I understand to an extent but also my response to that is my god why would you want to like this virus the nature of viruses is to pursue one thing and one thing alone which is to replicate itself not interested in a conversation. Um, I'm not I couldn't even say that the virus would have awareness of us as human beings as entire organisms I'm I'm sure that their awareness would be more focused on specific cells of our being right but fundamentally I I would not like to have a conversation with that virus the same way that I wouldn't like to have a conversation with rabies or some particularly edgy scary Mm. destroyer god you know um and understanding that entering into a conversation with a being is essentially really an invitation unless you're very deeply protected with ritual technology or whatever it's the same way when you open up a shrine or something to your ancestors in your home. You're you're setting up an antenna and you're saying, "Please be seated here." I do not want SARS-CoV-2 to be seated in my home. So there's a a, a misapprehension of general benevolence about the microbial world, I think, which can be just as unhelpful as being scared of everything. It, hmm. It's a kaleidoscopic universe so you have some some members of that universe who uh have a variety of temperaments and even though pathogenic organisms represent a very small fraction of the microbial universe those are still ones that deserve respect i mean they all deserve respect but this is a different kind of respect this is an arm's length kind of respect which is like you're very cool, you're an incredibly impressive being, but I don't really want to engage in any type of relationship with you whatsoever, and that's totally fine. And I've I've had COVID-19 three times now, and my loved ones have had COVID-19, and I have a very healthy respect of that virus that does border on fear because I also have people who medical professionals one of my best friends is a surgeon and and she spent a lot of time working in COVID ICU so I think it's appropriate for me to say that I'm very concerned about that virus and I don't really want to engage with it and that's different of course from every bacterium on the planet should be wiped out by Lysol Mm. kind of a idea
0: you know Mm -hmm. so it's a dynamic relationship Yeah. That makes so much sense. What about the consciousness piece and not necessarily consciousness of like the virus um, in even a realm that is the same, like you, you use the word neutrality before. um, So it, it feels really slippery, but like, you know, in thinking about the um like whether or not it's a consciousness that's like so far beyond and different than we can possibly get there with our human limitations um what are your explorations into that
1: uh i suspect it's completely beyond even <laughs> yeah. understanding yeah, right um and uh that makes sense right because we're talking about a group of organisms that is ancestrally related to life developing on this planet the second that life is possible Hmm. right and and we're talking about you know a, a group of organisms that we might interact with day to day who are also related to organisms that exist on this planet that are completely inaccessible to us so groups of organisms that have lived in the Earth's crust for millions of years that are still alive but aren't really doing anything, they're not growing, they're not dividing, they're just silently there and have been since the Earth was formed. Organisms at the bottom of the ocean that double once every 200 years um, those, those ones I think perceptually, uh, more related to deities than human Mm. beings, I think. Mm -hmm. And so, again, I think it goes back to this being a very highly faceted universe. And this is why I describe it as a universe, because the microbial world is um, so unknown, and so uninterrogated Mm. by humanity that i'm i'm sure there's there are lifetimes of things to discover there um which is part of what microanimism is about because there are so many like tangible limitations to exploring the microbial world there are so many limitations to technology and and what have you that if you want to push those boundaries, you have to start heading towards the more esoteric edges of scientific understanding. So I think that it's much easier to probe um, the overlaps of the microbial universe with, with humans. And that might be in relation to microbiomes or gardening or making food or whatever. And you can take that a step further by examining how um, microbes connect us to our ancestors through mitochondria or through um, the transfer of microbial populations between mothers and children and grandmothers and mothers and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But, yeah, ultimately, I think you know fully understanding the type of consciousness that we're talking about particularly with the viral world which scientists can't even really decide if they're alive or not is uh, unattainable to human beings and I absolutely think it should be unattainable (laughs) it should Mm -hmm. stay unattainable because uh, it's just fundamentally the most the most ancient um form of life and arguably i'll make myself unpopular arguably the smalls represent a more ancient reservoir of knowledge than the deities right in theory well
0: thank thank god for the mystery like god <laughs> right. is just you know uh <laughs> um actually as you were speaking i almost got this sense of um, just like time itself, like like that the smalls are intertwined with time itself like we in our total inability to even understand time um 100 so- percent yeah, mm-hmm. I that, that I have a whole lesson on that in one of
1: my courses because it's like you have e. coli doubles every twenty minutes if e. coli was unimpinged by, requirements for nutrition and waste removal it would it would take over the planet within a a few hours you know but then you've got the ones at the bottom of the ocean that have been down there for hundreds and hundreds of years and then you have this whole ancestral thread connecting modern day microbes to the ones at the beginning of time you have the links between plants and photosynthesis and chloroplasts and mitochondria it's they they represent every level of time Hmm. and um, dropping in with the smalls can be difficult because of that because you're never really sure if you're talking to the ones that are alive and dead within a 24-hour span or the ones that have been around since the beginning of time so It's kind of exhausting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but I appreciate your, um, like, just, like, making space for all all the various kinds and complexities of things and not, like, just, you know, we have such a tendency of of, um, it's a label. And then, therefore, that applies to all of it. And, you know, it is totally, you know, not that way at all. Uh, My question to you is sort of around this idea of... um, The underworld of smalls um this and this might be entirely my bias but it's somewhere that my mind kind of goes which is um like the unseen crevices of things this quality of the smalls um having an affinity perhaps where for like the birth canals and slippery viscera um and just these these realms that have become taboo in our in our modern culture i think primarily because we have a lot less access to the raw and the wet and the the kind of primal nature of things, unless you truly are a farmer or a midwife, um, you know, for the modern human, perhaps it's only through sex or if, you know, if you are a hunter um, that you get a, a direct experience. Um, so, so wondering if, if you feel like there's a connection to the smalls and sort of the darker wilds of life. Um, I, that's definitely the
1: aspect of microanimism animism that I'm drawn to because I'm a, I'm still a teenage goth at heart, and <laughs> I like, yeah, the darker side of stuff. But uh, really, uh, honestly, I can say that I, I don't see... Any differentiation between the sticky, stinky, bloody aspects of being alive and everything else. And certainly scientifically, I mean, every now and then you'll see uh, a kind of clickbait article where it will be like bubonic plague found on the New York subway because somebody sequenced one of the sea covers or something you can find anything anywhere if you look hard enough you know and and certainly dna sequencing has its uh flaws in terms of finding the the scarier microbes that people associate with things like disease and and filth and and all that kind of stuff but um really one of the interesting things about microbes and particularly viruses is that genetically they're so promiscuous, mm-hmm. right? They're always shuttling around genes and picking things up and putting things down. And that's why 8% of the human genome is viral in origin. And sometimes really important things are switched around and swapped around. Um, and so there is a, a, a very clear merge between the the drier brighter aspects of living things with the wetter darker aspects of living things again it's, it's a smudge and I think a lot of people come into thinking about the smalls with these biases towards oh I, I wanna I want to work with the smalls in the soil where I grow my roses and I wanna avoid the smalls in the manure and the, the shit that I also used to grow the roses but they're all one and the same and in particular once you start thinking about the smalls in relation to death and decomposition these biases tend to flip because the smalls in those situations are productive the smalls make everything productive but death in particular, instead of life slowing down, it's life speeding up in myriad different directions. Instead of being focused on one alive thing, being dies, and the smalls take every aspect of that being and carry it on to millions of different places and that process is probably one of the stinkiest dirtiest scariest processes that that we come across i mean not that not that we really do come across it because death and the process of death is is becoming more sanitized as well but um the role that the smalls have in those processes that we find viscerally as human beings distasteful or disgusting or frightening just more celebrate that. And if you can align yourself with the perception of what is happening on a biological, even psychological, emotional, spiritual, cerebral level, you begin to take these more disgusting aspects of life and find a capacity to celebrate them a little bit more because you can start off with a pile of dead flesh. And end up with a rose bush and that is in entirely mediated by microorganisms. Entirely.
0: Mm. Go vultures. I happen oh, to yeah. love I love vultures, so I um, love vultures too. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh.
1: And vultures have a fascinating microbiome. And and a very you know, lots and lots of of links with with deities and rebirth and all that kind of stuff yeah vultures are my favorite we have tons out here
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. totally underappreciated just in their um in their beauty we have so much like confusion about what they're kind of how they're showing up in the world
1: yeah and I like the way that they um vomit as a defense mechanism as well I think that's hilarious
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell me a little bit more about um, the land where you live and um, like, you know, vultures or just any anyone else that that is around you, um, whether this is a question that's related to microanimism or not. But I'm just curious about the landscape, you know, where you are and how that shows up in your body and um, kind of the, the inner and outer wilds for you. Yeah, so
1: I am in New Mexico in the United States, and uh, it's about as far removed as a place as you could find from where I grew up on the south coast of England. But I've lived here for a minute now. I've, I've lived in the States for nearly 10 years, and I just became a naturalized citizen. Um, and I've lived all over, and New Mexico... <sighs> I think the, the second I got off the plane or even before when I was looking out the window, I was like, oh, this is my place. This is absolutely my place. And the longer I stayed here, the more revelatory things happened. And I I realized that a recurring dream that I used to have as a child was about New Mexico and a variety of other spooky things like that. But um, wow. we're we're a high desert I, I lived in Albuquerque for a long time and now I'm just south of Santa Fe We're a high desert so we are desert but we have seasons and uh in New Mexico it's wonderful because we have mountains we have low desert we have slot canyons we have pretty much anything that you could possibly hope for in a landscape um and I think it's one of these places where people will come visit and they'll think it's amazing and they'll want to come live here forever or it, it's deeply unsettling to them. And I understand that. This is this is a, a landscape that's marked with violence sort of historically in terms of the human history here but also geographically. Um, and a lot of folks who don't like it here Will say things like, Oh, the desert, the desert just seems so dead and dry, and there's nothing happening here, it's depressing, or the sun is the sun wants to kill me, and the sun does want to kill us out here. It's kind of brutal. But um, the desert to me, and this is directly related to one of the reasons why I'm kind of in love with the smalls. The desert just represents ancient life. It's not a lack of life. It's deeply, deeply ancient, adapted, evolved, hard, one life. Everything that lives out here has uh, an inalienable right to live out here because it's adapted over time. So the trees, the animals, the insects... Everything here belongs to the desert wholeheartedly. And I obviously have less of a right to live here compared to a rattlesnake. But I also feel like my my place here is hard won and that I have adapted to living here. And I love it. it and it's a really difficult place to live. We have really severe issues with water the last couple of months. We've we've been through this heat wave, which has been really difficult, um, especially when you work outside like I do with horses. It's just been really hard on everyone. But everyone I know who lives here, who really loves living here, is not considering leaving over the next 15 or 20 years. We're thinking more about adapting. What are we gonna do about the lack of water? How are we gonna support everybody? I'm really lucky to live in a a community on a ranch that's very supportive and I have a lot of hope for the future out here um, in terms of just existing. I mean the political landscape and the human landscape is a different thing but in New Mexico I feel like um, I found my place and and coming here has been, I mean, 30 years worth of a journey for me as a strange little person growing up on the south coast of England to a a military family and a lot of the work I do with the smalls, a lot of the work I do with horses, both of which I think is the work that I'm supposed to be doing that's sort of part of my path um, as an alive thing is deeply linked to the desert. Um, so I just feel really lucky to be here and again, intimidated by the land hmm. and understanding that I have a responsibility to the land and my community, but just lucky to be here moving through all of the the friction that comes from being here.
0: Mm-hmm. Makes sense to have that respect. Yeah. Um the intelligence in having that respect for, yeah, the intensity of it. It's a, uh, intense, beautiful landscape. Thank you for, yeah. Sharing that. Well, do you feel like, um, there's anything else that you wanted that you didn't get to say that you wanted to say about the smalls or just about your work in general? Um, if there's anything else that you wanted to, um, share with everyone.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, one of the things that i say to everybody who steps into this stuff and i try to be brutally honest that i i really don't like i don't consider myself uh an instructor really because microanimism, the platform that i designed to think about this stuff is really just a collection of unformed thoughts and i can't explain to you any one individual what their experience of microanimism should or shouldn't be but what i can say to people is that this work is really intense and at some point you're gonna feel really uncomfortable and frightened and that means you're doing it right <laughs> i think it's a really um extraordinary thing that we can access this completely alien and important ancient world and it is accessible to everybody it's it's not just about being a scientist and taking it a step further it's accessible to everybody and um, I I encourage folks whether or not they want to jump in with both feet to just think about the relationship that they have with the smalls think about their experiences of being unwell as a child or um, how they feel when they're interacting with plants or making food or, or tanning hide or whatever it is that folks do that is meaningful to them and just take a second to recognize how the smalls are supportive of those passions because once you do it really does add a depth to your understanding of of what it is to be an alive thing in this world and then that expands into what it means to be a dead thing in this world and what it means to be an ancestor in this world and etc 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 so it's it's an enriching thing to think about and um also an edgy thing so I think
0: it's pretty cool to be thinking about this stuff. Right on, for sure. Well, thank you so much for for all that you do in, in kind of um, continuing to help us sort of blur those lines of perception, expand ourselves out that way, enrich ourselves. So
1: yeah, thanks yeah. for engaging. Yeah.
0: Well, much gratitude for everyone listening for spending this time with us, and if it felt of benefit to you, please do consider leaving a review or subscribing to the podcast ongoingly from whatever your preferred listening source is. I'd also encourage you to check out KendraWard.com. Here you can find old episodes to catch up on, and you can learn more about my work as an acupuncturist and land alchemist I provide in-person acupuncture and energy work for human bodies, and I provide land alchemy and energy work for land bodies. If you've never heard of this term, land alchemy, before and you're curious, you can find out more at KendraWard.com. May we discover new ways while also remembering old ways of relating and being in kinship as we continue to bring an open-armed adoration and devotion for this wild earth. Thanks everyone, and I look forward to being with you on the next episode.